Hello everyone, welcome to the Memorial Heights Baptist Church Podcast. Here you'll find archived all of our previous messages dating back to late 2020. Today's message was given by Pastor Nick Davies on March 9th, 2022 during our Wednesday evening service. We want to thank you for spending time listening today and encourage you to share these messages with a friend so they too might hear the Word of God. But for now, grab your Bible, open your ears, and let's get to it. You didn't get one of these papers when you came in. That makes sense. Hey, it's, this is for your benefit, not mine. I won't be offended if you throw it away. I did, yeah, that's true. It's so I really don't have to teach tonight. You guys read that? We'll be good. We'll just get into prayer time tonight. <laughs> um, this is what we'll be getting into in just a little bit. Um, I just thought this would be an easier way than, than you guys having to try and write something down uh, since it, it is a lot. Uh, but I thought that this would be a little bit helpful for uh, what, we're, what we're talking about tonight. Turn back with me to Acts chapter 2. As you know, we have been in this particular passage for the past couple weeks now. Uh, We've been really looking at the characteristics of this early church, about the attitude that they had toward these things. Uh, They had a steadfast demeanor. They persevered diligently in prayer and fellowship. Remember, uh, we talked about the first night of this series that fellowship is showing up and being present in the lives of other believers. It's confessing our sin to one another, praying for one another, encouraging one another, and stirring up one another to good works. And last week, we, we hit on prayer a little bit uh, from what we see here in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Let me read that real quick before we keep reviewing. It says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Prayer is constantly and consistently connected to that word steadfast, continued steadfast, because remember that's one word there in the Greek. And prayer, each time um, that continued steadfastly is used in Scripture, eight out of the ten times uh, it was used connected with prayer. They persevered diligently in prayer. We looked at the life of Nehemiah last week and what an incredible testament to faithfulness he was and still is in our lives. He spent time praying and he had a repentant heart. He called upon God's promises and trusted wholly in him to lead him. He was obedient and acted upon his conviction and he did something. He did something. And through these behaviors that we're looking at, Uh, the early church participated in, it led to their growth both spiritually and numerically. If you look down at verse 47, as a reminder, it says, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Now, each of these different areas that we've been looking at are certainly ways that this group of people grew spiritually. And as they grew in their faith, as they grew in their relationship with Christ, as they learned more about Him, that is what led to those growth in numbers. Uh, Their their faithfulness led to God being able to use them and work through them to bring about change in other people's 
lives. This account was given to us so that we might learn from it. And so hopefully that's what we're doing as we spend time here tonight. Any passage that we look at in Scripture is given to us so that we might know him better. What we're going to be looking at tonight is the very first of these mentioned. For some reason, I didn't do this in order. Why? Just didn't. Um, But this is what we're doing. So we're looking at doctrine tonight. It says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Let's start off by defining these two words, apostles and doctrines. We know that the apostles were leaders in the church. Peter and Paul are examples of apostles. But, but what really is an apostle? An apostle is someone who was directly taught by Jesus himself to carry the message of the gospel to a specific group of people. They were unique representatives of Jesus having been taught directly by him and were able to give eyewitness accounts of his ministry while he was here on earth. So these people were being submissive. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. They were submissive to those who Jesus actually walked and talked with. I think back to the apostle John's gospel where he says this in 1 John, or I'm sorry, We'll look at that gospel quote here in a second, but one of his epistles, 1 John 5.13, These things I have written unto you that you believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. He wrote these things to give us an account. He was teaching us what Christ taught him. And he says in his gospel, John 20.31, But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. The doctrine, the things that we learned, the the accounts that was shared with us through these Gospels were given to us for our learning. These were people that really walked and talked with Jesus. They knew what they were talking about. They saw these things genuinely happen. They were present for them. When we're reading this book, We can't forget that this is an historical book as well. Uh, I think DJ said this, that it's it's a historical book. It's a cultural book. It has to do with the history of Israel. It also has to do with the the nation of Israel. But it's also, um, I can't remember the third one. What is it? Do you know? Do you remember what you said? (laughs) I started going down that road and then I just blanked. The third one's escaping me. I don't know if that's it or not. Sorry about that. That's terrible. I didn't write it down. I was just kind of riffing off on a, on a tangent. Uh, teaches me not to do that. Um, but it, it, this book was written by people. It was given to them by God. We'll get, a, get into that in just a little bit. But this book is, is a historical book in that it is actually giving accounts of what really happened. I tried to stress this with my students. This isn't just, like a, this isn't just a fairy tale. This is real, real stuff that happened, and the people that wrote these down were eyewitnesses to what was going on, and they were written so that we might learn about Jesus. Luke, Luke also wrote, he gave an eyewitness account of, all, of, of the life of Jesus. In Luke 1, 1 through 4, it says this, For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us, even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, it seemed good to me also, having 
had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus, that thou mightest know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. The purpose of that gospel was written for this, it was, it was written to this particular person, but it's written for us today too. Obviously, it's made itself into scripture. Um, and so it is something that we can learn from as well. It was written so that we might know the certainty of these things. And so these men commissioned by Jesus are now planting churches where the Lord leads them. All in all, apostles were unique in time to establishing the early church. The, the meaning of the word uh, in the Greek there is, is really just a messenger, messenger or an ambassador. They were a unique position in a certain place at a certain time by their association to Jesus. We are certainly called to be ambassadors of Christ, but we are not apostles. The second word is doctrine. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. We, we spent time def defining apostles there because that gives the validity, that gives the power, um, the authority behind why these things were important to this group of people. And we have the texts that those men wrote down. But the word doctrine here uh, is a, a Greek word meaning teaching or instruction. I've noticed a lot of people can get scared when they hear the word doctrine. Um, I know I sometimes, it's like, ah, that just seems a little bit more academic than where I'm at. Uh, and certainly there can be an air of superiority within the community of those who are Bible scholars or theologians, or at least some kind of perceived air of superiority. The reality is doctrine is just simply the teachings of God's word. It's simply the truths that God has revealed to us through the scriptures. We come up with words to describe different parts of theology like soteriology and harshology and Christology, but the words themselves are not nearly as important as what they are actually describing. They're important, sure, but really what's more important is what the, the Word of God says behind those things. Those are words that we have created to establish a boundary or, or something like that. Um, but what is really important is the scripture behind them. As I was driving to work this morning, uh, I was listening to a podcast called The Pour Over, just a great little podcast that um, this year's Unbiased News. They end each section with a little connection to scripture. It's less than 10 minutes, it, and it honestly ends up being encouraging rather than discouraging, despite all the bad news that we tend to hear, because uh, there's a lot of bad news. Uh, they also share a quote of the day, and the quote of the day I felt really spoke to this, and um, a guy by the name of Jerome, St. Jerome, uh, said this. He said, the scriptures are shallow enough for a babe to come and drink without fear of drowning, and deep enough for theologians to swim in without ever reaching the bottom. These common people devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, the truths that the apostles learned from Jesus himself, and then were passing them down to this early church. And these people were devoted to learning about Jesus and what Jesus taught. All right, so these early Christians were perseveringly devoted to the apostles' teachings. Awesome. We're talking about this so that we can live out our Christian life like these early believers. This is an account of the good thing that they did. We have accounts of how they messed up too, and we've certainly looked at those before in other areas of Scripture. But right now we're looking at this incredible display of faith in their obedience. 
So how can we emulate this? How can we persevere devotedly the apostles' doctrine? We follow the teachings of Jesus. What did he teach? Well, he taught a lot. There's, there's a lot of books written about it. Um, tonight and next week, Lord willing, I just want to give 10 areas of teaching that he spoke on in one way or another. Certainly, this is not an exhaustive list. As uh, I think it's the book of John at the end of it, he says, if I was to give everything that Jesus did, surely there, there isn't enough pages to even contain all that our Savior did. But this list is going to cover quite a bit. This organization um, of doctrine is, is set up in a way, it's, it's, similar to, um, it's similar to the way our Constitution is laid out. If you have a copy of our Constitution, you can check that out. Um, the purpose of organizing the, the scriptures in, or the, the doctrine in this way is a way I'll probably just use this. It'll be fine. It'll keep me from, like, gripping one of the table too weird. Um, the purpose of us organizing the, the, the doctrines that we're going to be talking about in this order um, is to help us get a clear picture of what God has taught us throughout the entirety of Scripture. It's taking into account the historical, cultural, and divine context that underlined the entirety of Scripture. The goal for today is to look at these first five that are crucial for our faith. We're not going to dive super deep. We're going to give some pretty dense pieces of uh, summary for each of these. Uh, but the goal here is to stretch you a bit and also to encourage you that studying God's Word is really important. And there's certainly a lot. We're never going to exhaust Scripture. It'll probably exhaust us far before we exhaust it. Um, for us to ignore even a portion or a passage or a book will lead us to sin in some way, or heresy uh, at its worst. Five doctrines that Christ himself spoke about in logical order. Are you ready? We're going we're gonna to go through these tonight. Um, and hopefully this is a, just something that you can take uh, home with you as a way to study these further since we're not getting too far into them. Um, but I hope this is encouraging for you. I'm going to switch this. I talk with my hands, so I have a hard time holding a mic like that. I'll throw it all over the place, and then it would be all kinds of messed up. All right. Doctor number one, theology proper. Theology proper is the study of God the Father, also called pater or like paterology, as in like paternal. Uh, we are taught in the scriptures that God, that the God of the Bible is a triune God, meaning that he is one, but yet three distinct persons, all functioning cohesively and at the same time together in function and yet independently in person. Each member of this triune Godhead is full deity and contains the attributes of omnipotence, omniscience, and om omnipresence. They are all expressed in Scripture and are worshipped and revered as one while existing independently and simultaneously, not modalism. 
Uh, you'll see that that's written there as well. And modalism is that God appears in one version and then another and then another. Not that they are three distinct, but they are one that just keeps changing. They are not three distinct gods, but it is one God. We serve one God. Each have their own part in creation, revelation, salvation, and in the church. We are taught that God is creator, and he created ex nihilo in six days out of nothing. Our God is a sustainer. He is infinite, holy. He is love. He is spirit, not physical, and unknowable and whole, but he is knowable in part, and he has given us his word as special revelation so that we might know him. Jesus Christ, while walking on this earth, taught about the Father. This is one of those things that the apostles would have been teaching this early church, and this is something that they were devoted to learning about. He clearly states of the Father that he and the Father are one in John 10.30. Jesus described the role of the Father as the one who draws people to Christ. In John 6.44, it says, No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Jesus speaks to the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew 26, and in the prayer for his disciples and for us today in John chapter 17. The reason I like to start out with, uh, with theology proper is because of Romans 1, or chapter 1, verse 20, where it says, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Even without the scriptures, there is some level to our understanding that has been afforded to us by God to know him in some sense. Scripture goes further to bring us clarity and depth in specifics about who he is, which is why scripture is second here. It is the next most important thing. Um, And in some cases, People organize scripture as at the top. But that is theology proper. This is one of those things that these people would have been devoted to learning about. The second thing, bibliology or epistemology, which is the study of the scriptures. Epistemology and bibliology comes from biblios in Greek or biblia in Latin, meaning book. That's why we call it the good book. It is what we call the study of the scriptures, is what bibliology or epistemology is. We are taught that the Bible is God's word from God's word. The scriptures we have are given by verbal plenary inspiration, meaning that every word and phrase is authoritatively from God, but was pinned down by people and carries with it unique writing styles from those approximately 40 human authors who wrote over 1,500 years. Through this process, every word in the scriptures are exactly what God wanted them to be, without mistake. As English-speaking Christians, I don't know anybody in here that speaks Greek or Hebrew, um, I believe that even with our translated texts from the original Greek and transliterated Aramaic and Hebrew languages, we find in the manuscripts that we have translated from that our Bible is complete and has been diligently attended to by translators, carried along by God to preserve his word. We are taught that this book is inerrant. 
and useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work, as is stated in 2 Timothy 3:16 and 17. Both the New Testament and the Old Testament are useful and necessary to Christians today for a complete understanding of God's redemptive plan for the world and understanding his character. Christ spoke directly on the scriptures, referring to the Old Testament, uh, that they were speaking of him. John 5.39, he says this, Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. The word of God is the special revelation given to us by God so that we might know him and his works throughout all of history from pre-creation to eternity. We need God's word. Every bit of it. There is not one part that is less important than another. The third doctrine that we're going to talk about tonight and that these people would have certainly been learning about was Christology, which is the study of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Son of the living God and is the incarnate Savior of the world. Jesus, who was first prophesied about in Genesis 3.15 by God, is both fully God as the second person of the Trinity and fully man. This unique joining of the human nature and God nature is expressed as the hypostatic union and is crucial to the understanding of Scripture. Jesus was conceived in Mary by the Spirit, not man, and therefore was born of a virgin, a miracle birth. On Jesus' humanity depends the ability to be a propitiation and sacrifice for the sins of the world. His humanity is evidenced by his growth physically and his growth in wisdom. On Jesus' deity depends his ability to withstand the temptations he faced perfectly and be the perfect sacrifice for our sin. It also plays into every other aspect of his character and duty. Jesus is prophet, priest, and king, and now acts as our high priest, interceding before the Father on behalf of all believers across the world. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice that died and rose again, defeating death. He is the king of the world that will one day completely rule over creation and has left now to prepare a place for us. Jesus speaks to many of these things himself. And as you'll see on your, uh, the papers that I handed out, you guys will see a list of different references that you can check out uh, in your own time. He prophesied about himself, though, that he would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. John 2, 19-21 says, Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then, said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? But he spake of the temple of his body. Jesus knew what he was sent for, and he did it. He died for us, and he rose again three days later. The grave could not hold him because of who he was. So that's number three, Christology. Number four, the fourth doctrine that these people would have spent time learning about because they were teachings of Jesus. That fourth doctrine is pneumatology. It's like pneumonia. Not pneumonia, but the, the same kind of spelling as pneumonia. Uh, pneumatology, which is the study of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is who we would consider the third member of the Trinity. 
The Holy Spirit is involved in the giving of the spiritual gifts, and he does this as he wills to bring about God's will. The Holy Spirit should not be referred to as an it, but rather as a he, in that he has a personality and possesses characteristics and decision-making capabilities. The Holy Spirit was directly involved with the conception of Jesus. The Holy Spirit speaks on our behalf whenever we are faced with the uh, persecution and brings to mind things that we have read and things that Christ has taught us through his word. The Holy Spirit is involved in the act of regeneration and that he is the agent by which someone is brought from spiritual death to spiritual life. The Spirit is also involved in the giving of the word of God. He indwells believers and is the seal of salvation. He is the truth. He is holy. The Holy Spirit can also be blasphemed against, which adds to the evidence of his deity. Jesus spoke of the Holy Spirit as the comforter that would come whenever he left this earth. John 16, uh, John chapter 16, verse 7 says this, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. These people here in Acts chapter 2 were learning about this. They were given the hope by Jesus' teaching that a Comforter was coming. And that Comforter at this point had come. The last doctrine that we're going to talk about tonight is the doctrine of Hamartology. Hamar, I should have looked up how to pronounce that better. H-A-M-A-R-T-I-O-L-O-G-Y, which is the study of sin. God created the world perfect without sin in it. Sin is the absence of godliness or anything that opposes God's character and has not existed until the created beings of God were given a choice to choose to follow him or abandon him. Sin entered our world in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve took of the tree of knowledge of good and evil and ate of it, breaking God's commandment not to do so. Since this moment, sin has marred creation and has been passed down through the generations from Adam to his descendants, which is you and I. We have continued to break his benevolent commands. The process of sinning is laid out in Scripture as something that is rooted in our own desires that go against God. Our sin leads to death, an eternal separation from God if a person does not repent and put his or her trust in God, having the blood of Jesus cover them. By our sin of unbelief, we are condemned already. If you have not confessed Christ as your Savior, you are condemned already. You are in need of His redemptive blood. There's enough blood for you. He is waiting to apply it to you. All you got to do is ask. That is the doctrine of sin. Now we're going to look at five more next week. Um, but continuing on here, Jesus called out sin in the lives of many a people. Jesus, Jesus wasn't just all touchy, hey, this is great, you know, life is fine, we're all good, everything's good, I'm just here to give you some, some good news. Um, he went so far as to, to flip tables. Um, I've been there. <laughs> Maybe not angry about sin, but Jesus, Jesus called out sin. He was serious about sin. He went so far as to 
die for our sin. He took it so seriously. Jesus, as he began his ministry, shared a message of repentance. In Matthew 4.17, he says, From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, if you look back at the very first message we did in this series, one of the biggest things we looked at that united these people was repentance. They had a shared experience in that Peter gave them a message and they all repented of their sin. They turned from their wicked ways. That doctrine of repenting from sin started not with Peter. It didn't start with the apostles. It started with Jesus. Jesus, Jesus came to call us to repentance and Peter and the other apostles taught through their doctrine and through their gospel sharing to continue to repent. Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Whenever they asked Peter, what do we do? In verse 38, it says, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Studying God's word matters. These five doctrines, they might be uh, difficult things. There might be, and, and there are certainly many rabbit trails that we could go down with each of these. We could, I, I've, I've read books. I know there's hundreds of more books on some of these topics. There's, there's, there's books just on Jesus that just look at one verse about Jesus Christ. There is books on the Holy Spirit, on theology proper and sin. There's debate. But studying the Bible matters. These things are not just for theologians. Studying God's Word is not just for spiritually elite people. Studying God's Word is for followers of Jesus. This, the doctrine that was talked about was just simply the teachings of Jesus. How much time do you spend devoted to Jesus' teachings? As I said before the quote from St. Jerome, the Scriptures are shallow enough for a babe to come and drink without fear of drowning and deep enough for theologians to swim in without ever reaching the bottom. The only question is this. Are you in the water? Are you there? Whether you're in the deep water or the shallow water, are you in the Scriptures? Are you drinking from that water? My hope is to give some practical things to look at and to study. God's Word is a treasure trove of information. These people confessed, they repented of their sins, and then they spent time devoting themselves to these teachings. We, we don't have to be intimidated by God's Word. Once I, I, I'm sure some of you have asked this or have been asked this before, but how do you eat a whole elephant? Has anybody heard that? Was it, Marty? Piece by piece. Bite by bite. Bite by bite. Are you taking bites? Are you consuming God's Word at any rate? I want to share one passage with you as I close. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. Turn there with me and take a look at this. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. We did a, I, I did a series, 
don't know how long it's been ago now, uh, but on uh, the Word of God being like milk. Um, and as I, again, am reminded, uh, when May is hungry, she's hungry. She wants that bottle, like, now. Yesterday, she slept past her bottle by, like, what, two hours? She was out cold. She woke up. She was, like, she's about to have a miracle happen and walk over to the cupboard and grab a bottle herself. She wanted it now. She wanted it so bad. And when she got it, man, she just consumed it. She sucked that bottle down faster than I've ever seen her eat. Look at what 1 Peter 2.2 says. That's what I have in mind when I read this. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. We're only going to grow when we're in his word. These things that we're talking about tonight, they can be as deep, they can be, you can go down tons of rabbit trails. You don't have to. You don't have, it doesn't have to be complicated. Certainly, as you get into it, you're going to want to learn more. You're going to want more. But just get into God's Word. That's really that simple. Just, just read it. Read His Word, and by that, you may grow. If you see in your life that you're not growing, take a look at what you're reading. If you're not reading God's Word, you're probably not growing. These people were devoted Get in, get, in your, get in your mind that, that mental picture of a baby going after a bottle. Like there is some serious desire behind a, a baby that just wants to eat. In their mind, it's life and death. I, 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 listened to a, uh, I listened to a lot of podcasts and it talked about how the, the psychology of a baby is, is really, they're seeing I'm getting food or I'm not getting food as life and death. And it, certainly it is in, in, in some sense to them, but they can't even wrap their mind around it. They're like, hey, I'm going to get the bottle. It's going to take me two minutes. I've got to mix it up. It'll be fine. They don't get that. In their head, it is life, death. I need that bottle now. So much more is the Word of God life and death. When we are not in this Word... We are not in the Scriptures. We're not growing. And if you've never confessed Christ as your Savior, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. What this book shares with us is that key to life. Jesus came so that we might have life and have it to the fullest. The Gospel, the good news of Jesus, is that we don't have to be dead. That He has provided Himself the bread of life so that we may eat, that we may consume Him and have life eternal with Him in His presence. So yeah, sometimes doctrine can be confusing, sometimes it can be a lot, but when it comes down to it, are we, are we learning about the teachings of Jesus? These people gave us an incredible picture of devotion to His Word, of devotion to learning these things, and, and more, certainly, and we'll talk more about them next week. But would you say of yourself that you are devoted, that you persevere devotedly in the Scriptures? If not, why not? What's holding you back from taking time to devote yourself to Him? 
Let's close in a word of prayer, and then we'll start our prayer time this evening. Uh, Lord, we just thank you for your word, that we can learn more about you. Lord, we thank you for just the wealth of um, information, and, and it, how incredible is it, Lord, that, that you, you all-powerful, omniscient God, has revealed yourself to us through your word, the Bible. Lord, we should never take for granted just how powerful it is that we are able to have one of these sitting on our shelves, that we are able to hold one of these in our hands so that we might be able to know you, the God of the universe. I, 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 I know I take it for granted. I know that, Lord, we... I don't even know if we can begin to wrap our minds just around how stunning it is that you have given us this. Lord, it certainly is a divine book. And Lord, we just thank you that, that through it we can know you better. And Lord, may what we learn from it drive us to be more in love with who you are, more obedient followers of you and, and better witnesses to the community around us. We think of this early church that as they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, Lord, that you added to their numbers daily. Lord, I, I pray that for us, that as we independently on our own and corporately get into your word and devote ourselves to it, that we would see growth in our community in the spread of the gospel unlike we've ever seen before. Lord, I look forward to what you're doing. And Lord, we just love you. We praise you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. That's all for today. I hope this has made a positive impact in your relationship with Jesus. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior and you'd like to know how, give one of our pastors a call at 301-724-5876. We would love nothing more than to share the good news with you. If you've never joined us in person, we have services multiple times throughout the week that we would love to see you at. They are Sunday morning Bible study at 9.15 a.m., Sunday morning service at 10.30 a.m., Sunday evening service at 6.30 p.m., and Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. We also have opportunities for our students to gather. The youth group for grades 6 through 12 meets at 6 o'clock p.m. on Sundays, and our WANA program for 6th grade and under meets at 6.15 p.m. on Wednesdays. Again, we thank you for joining us today, and we hope to see you soon. But until next time, stay faithful. Thank you.